Well, good morning again. <laughs> uh, please turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 12 in just a minute. Um, but before we get started reading the passage, I'd just like to give a few words of introduction as to where we are in the book and where this fits in in the flow of thought where we're starting. So um, last, last week, Luke um, talked to us about... Um, Discipline and uh, specifically discipline and godliness, and it was contrasted to um, physical discipline, like uh, physical uh, bodily exercise and the discipline of of, uh, of sports or um, or games or physical exercise, where someone has to uh, exercise discipline if they want to be good at whatever physical endeavor they're trying. Um, so uh, godliness. Uh, requires discipline, and it says in verse 8, it says, But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So we see that godliness is our, is our goal. It's everything that we should be striving for. And um, there's further admonition in this chapter uh, chapter 4, if we go back a little further, there's a warning against apostasy and false teachers and all that stuff. And so that's where the chapter starts, and then it goes into the admonition of be disciplined in godliness. And that's where we left off last week. This week, we have a continuation of the same thought. It's not a, uh, it's not a new thought. You know, Paul's not changing the, the topic at all. We're continuing straight forward in that same thought. Of, uh, of discipline and striving uh, in godliness. So let's start in verse 12, and uh, I'll read the passage uh, through, the, uh, through the end of the chapter, which is our passage for this week. It says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So this is, for me personally, my very favorite passage in all of 1 Timothy. Um, and part of that because it's an exhortation to a young man, and uh, I'm generous enough to still lump myself into that, that category. Um, but the other reason it's my favorite passage in the book is because I think it's one of the most personal notes of Paul talking to Timothy. And remember, right when we started the book, um, we talked about how close the relationship was from Paul and Timothy. And I was reading through the, the book of Acts this morning, uh, and there's uh, starting, I think, in chapter 16, where Paul and Timothy first uh, uh, are joined together in ministry. Um, and through the next several chapters, there's just city after city after city after city that Paul and Timothy go through together. And experience and experience they have, and churches are planted, and uh, opposition is faced, and they're really uh, warriors together. 
And um, where, we're, where we're at at this book is that these two fellow laborers, these two uh, co-bond uh, servants of Christ, um, are uh, separated. They're in different parts. And so um, Paul is writing encouragement to Timothy and challenges that he needs to know. And um, you can almost hear Paul saying, if you take uh, chapter 4 in its entirety with the warnings and the, um, the challenge to the discipline, you can almost hear Paul saying something like, listen, my son, bad things are coming, and we both know it. However, you know what to do, and you can have a tremendous impact on the church if you commit yourself to the right things. That's kind of a, a paraphrase of this whole chapter. Paul's saying to Timothy, you're not going into this fight unequipped. You know what the dangers are. You have the right tools. You know what to be on the lookout for. And you know um, those things that you should be focusing on to build uh, yourselves, yourself up as an example. And that's where we are in verse 12. He says, let no one despise your youth. Um, And just as a a side note, we know that Timothy was a a fairly young man at this time um, because of uh, this and uh, other passages in Acts. We don't know his exact age, of course. Um, But it says, Paul says to him, don't don't let people look down on you because you're young. And uh, (laughs) you can always hear hear him say, you know, don't pay pay attention to, you know, people that might call you the young whippersnapper. (laughs) Right, um, but if you're a young person and you want to say how how am I to be taken seriously by someone who's older than me? Well, Paul says this is how you get taken seriously by someone who's older than you. You be an example, and specifically, you be an example in these areas. So I'm gonna we're gonna break these down and talk a little bit about um, uh, what Paul is saying to Timothy. So the first one. He's, the first area um, that he points out, and there's six words here. The first one is the word word. Be an example to the believers in word. So, what does it mean to be an example to someone in word? Well, <laughs> it's word. It's, the spo- it's spoken word. It's what you say, right? Be an example to people in what you talk about and how you speak to people. Do you address people politely? You address them rudely. <laughs> if you want to be called a young whippersnapper, be disrespectful to your elders. I guarantee you that'll get you uh, some uh, righteous wrath from the, uh, from the older folks, right? And rightfully so. Address yourself respe- uh, respectfully towards other people. Speak kindly. It talks in the, the scripture about um, let your words be seasoned with grace. Um, in, in all areas, you know, we shouldn't have uh, angry words coming out of our mouth. And there's, um, I don't have time to go through, um, there's a large section of James, of course, that's devoted to the tongue and to warning uh, about uh, how, how, di- how deep a hole you can dig yourself uh, with your tongue. And uh, the, uh, one of the analogies uh, that's used in James is he says, see how great a f- a forest, a little fire kindles. The tongue's but a small member, but it can stir up uh, a great wildfire 
And, uh, you know, in the state of California, we've seen over the last few weeks the immense destruction that a wildfire can cause. I don't know if any of you have been on the internet and clicked through pictures of uh, the wildfires and the, the homes that have been destroyed in Northern California. It's awful. It's tragic. Um, people have died. Um, and we don't want our tongue to cause a similar amount of destruction by hurtful words in the church or backbiting or gossip against other members. Uh, this, this warning has been uh, repeated several times, even in, in the book of Timothy itself. But here's a fresh uh, challenge to be careful about what we say uh, to one another um, and be an example, right? If, if someone comes up to you and speaks nicely to you, you're probably not going to respond to them in an angry way. You respond the same way, right? And uh, so if you're an example to people in word, how you're speaking to people, it's, it builds people up because they start wanting to communicate with you at the same level you're communicating. Oh, you know, I said, thanks, Raji, for the Madelines that you brought me the other week. That was really nice, right? And she says, you're welcome, Right? There's, there's a pleasant exchange there. We've built one another up. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been edifying to both of us, right? And um, so we should be to the believers. All right, the next one is conduct. Be an example to uh, conduct. And it's uh, <laughs> actions and words are, are closely linked, aren't they? We, uh, we call the people that say one thing and do another hypocrites, <laughs> But most of the time, what we say and what we do are pretty closely linked. And we are similarly called to be an example. Do you see, you know, um, the brothers and sisters who are uh, exhibiting the character trait of thoughtfulness towards other people? Do you notice them? I do. I think everyone does. Especially if you're the one that they're demonstrating thoughtfulness towards, right? I think of, uh, oh, right here, someone's uh, kindly provided me a glass of, of water to uh, enjoy while uh, I'm up here preaching. I was very thoughtful. Thank you. But it's, th- it's those thoughtful things that are an example to other people. Oh, I see someone else do- doing something thoughtful. I could do something as well. I want to do something. I don't want to be left behind in the exchange of thoughtful activity. <laughs> right? Stir one another up. Build each other up. I know of... Um, and it doesn't just have to be in, in actions. Uh, certainly uh, providing someone with a cup of cool water has its reward. But um, I know of uh, a groups here in the assembly where two people have gotten together and say, hey, look, we're having a similar struggle uh, with things in our lives right now. Um, why don't we pray for each other in these things? And we can talk to each other uh, every week and say, hey, I'm praying for you in this area. And that's the same area you're praying for me in. How are you doing? You know, that's thoughtful conduct. That's caring. That's considerate. Um, and there's been a lot of uh, mutual edification of the saints here at this assembly who have said, hey, I was praying for you about this this week. How would that thing turn out? And they say, well, actually, I got to see the Lord work this week. Thanks for praying for me. Right? How thoughtful is that? Paul says to Timothy, be an example in, in your conduct which is closely tied into the next point where it says in love. Obviously, we want our conduct to be governed by love. And uh, as you would expect, um, 
If you look up the Greek word for love here, it is that word agape, which we're very familiar with, right? That selfless um, love that's not centered on selfish gains or um, familiar highs or anything like that. It's purely focused on the other person for their benefit. Um, and obviously, we hope that in a, in a church that agape uh, surrounds us and is from all sides, not just one person exuding this, um, but it's reciprocated back and forth, that, that thoughtful conduct, that graceful uh, or, or gracious speech towards one another, right? It all comes from love, and we know that uh, the love that we have inside of us is given to us by God. He is love. And that ties closely into the next point. <laughs> you see how they're, they're all kind of linked together? The next point, uh, it says, in spirit. And um, just as a, as a side note, that's not in uh, every translation. So if you're missing that in your Bible, it's okay. It's not in uh, every copy that we've got. Um, but what it means is... Um, in following the Holy Spirit and being, and being Spirit-filled and uh, following His guidance and um, exuding those fruits of the Spirit. So it's, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff all tied together in that one word, in Spirit. Um, and you can look, there's several passages where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, you know, gentleness, um, peacefulness, self-control, um, and others, they're all um, evidence of someone who's letting the Holy Spirit work in their life um, that's paying attention to that new nature that we've been given uh, as a result of our salvation, right? We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. That's part of, part of our new nature, that we follow Him and follow His leading and are, and are convicted by Him when we're, uh, we're not doing right. And I know, I can think of personally times that I've said something to someone that wasn't uh, a gracious speech, and you, f- you feel that prick, don't you, of your conscience, oh, I shouldn't have said that, right? That's the Holy Spirit working in your new nature to say, hey, you have the power that I'm giving you to not commit that sin that you just did by tearing someone down with your speech. You have the power to do that. You don't need to do it. And so if we're going to be an example, uh, or if t- uh, Timothy, if Timothy's going to be an example, and us, you know, following what the Scripture says, are going to be examples to one another, we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. Otherwise, um, we fall into the, <laughs> uh, that warning that it says about the apostates. It says they had their conscience seared as with a hot iron, Right? If you don't pay attention to your conscience, um, you can get into real trouble. And uh, obviously for a, uh, a true believer, someone who genuinely has the Holy Spirit within them, they're not, um, if they're truly saved, they're not going to be an apostate, but you can still ignore the Holy Spirit. It talks about that in Ephesians. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, Right? Um, and there's a strong warning there because our Christian walk, all of our power to, to live as Christians comes from God, comes from the Holy Spirit. And if we're neglecting the power that He has given us, uh, if we're ignoring Him, then we're cutting off our fellowship with God and it grieves the Holy Spirit greatly when we do so.
So that the Holy Spirit uh, is very essential to living out all of these other things in, in our speech, conduct, uh, and love. All right, the next one is, uh, is faith. Paul says to Timothy, be an example to the believers in faith. Well, what is faith? Well, it's simply trusting God at His Word, right? And um, we can see the effects um, in a life of someone who's trusting God um, for their daily provision, for, them, for the Lord to work in people around them. Um, I can think of uh, many examples that we have here uh, within this assembly of people who have trusted the Lord with their prayers, um, with their uh, job situation, with their living situation, um, with whether or not they have kids or not. And uh, the Lord works in all of those situations, and we get to see Him work if we believe Him. If we don't believe Him, if we don't trust Him, how are we going to see Him working? We won't. We'll attribute it to some other thing, some other natural cause, some other natural course of events. And we won't get that deep inside look and see, oh, that's what the Lord is doing. This is what He did in my life to take care of me, to provide for me. And I can think of over the years, I mean, how many times um, over the years have we prayed uh, at the, the Wednesday night prayer meeting for, for everything, right? For <laughs> jobs and uh, um, people to be saved. How many people have we sa- seen saved because of the prayer meeting? I don't think we can put a number on it, right? For all the um, folks that we've prayed that have c- come and gotten saved at the assembly through the years, um, for literature that we've prayed for that's gone out, Right? How are we supposed to put a, a, a number or measure the impact of what God has done um, through us just trusting Him just a little bit? Um, there's been too many, too many examples to count. And he, the, uh, Paul says to Timothy, he says, be an example of someone who trusts the Lord. Um, Paul himself, of course, was a great example of someone who trusted the Lord even though he went through some of the toughest physical times imaginable, right, being beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked and all other sorts of things, he always trusted the Lord that the Lord, that he was following the Lord's mission, that the Lord would see him through, right? And the Lord did, time after time after time. Paul was even bitten by a poisonous snake and suffered no harm of it because of it, because, <laughs> because the Lord wasn't done with him yet. Uh, there was still more for Paul to do, um, and many other examples. And I think Timothy, in being that co-servant, that co-warrior with Paul, would have seen the effect of the Lord's work in Paul's life as Paul trusted the Lord. I mean, how many churches did Timothy see planted? How many people did he see saved? How many people did Timothy perhaps even lead to the Lord himself? All because he and, he and Paul together were trusting the Lord that they were going about his business. And Paul says, don't forget all of those things that we've seen the Lord do. Be an example in faith and trusting the Lord. Um, Paul was certainly an example of that even uh, in the, the money and, and food that he received for his daily sustenance, uh, let alone preaching the gospel. 
Um, Paul is a great example. And the last one is impurity. Obviously, if we're going to be following after the Lord, purity is a, uh, is a great challenge. Um, and um, there's, there's lots of uh, areas that, um, in which purity can be uh, shown, which you can show yourself to be an example in purity. Um, one of which you often hear commonly talked about is, of course, sexual purity, right? And that's a, a, a big area with lots of challenges of its own. Um, but there's many other areas as well that purity can be applied to. Uh, obviously, it can be applied to our speech, right? Being pure of speech, not uh, lying or uh, uh, speaking with double meaning or uh, t- tearing one person down one moment and then uh, building someone else up the next. Um, but having purity in our thoughts and words and actions um, all of these areas we can ex- uh, exhibit purity in. And I don't think that uh, Paul had just one area that he wanted Timothy to ex- uh, exemplify purity in, but in all areas of his life, show himself to be pure, free from sin, right? That's what, pu- what purity means, free from sin, free from... Um, or uh, Another word you might use might even be blameless. Right, And we talked about that in the qualifications for the elders and deacons, for someone to be blameless before men and before God. Um, and that, of course, includes apologizing for faults when we do mess up, because we all know that we do make mistakes. Um, but one way to maintain purity is to go to the person you've wronged or before the Lord, uh, if your sin has been just between you and Him, and say, Lord, uh, I've been wrong. I, I repent of my sin, um, or to another person say, hey, look, I, I've wronged you. I'm sorry. Um, that maintains the purity, should that be broken. And Paul, uh, obviously, in talking about being an example in purity, you would have to be an example in uh, being willing to go before someone and say, you know, hey, you know, I messed up. Um, that sets a really good example, by the way. There's a lot of uh, bitterness that is caused by a party or parties that refuse to apologize for something. And that tends to escalate, doesn't it? Oh, he didn't apologize for that, so I'm not going to apologize for this. And then that you can see how that would build and build um, until people might not even be friends anymore or might divide the church. All right, so those are the things that Paul says to me an example in. And he says in verse 13, He says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So there's three points there that he says give attention to. And, oh, um, by the way, I want to make a little side note here. Uh, Remember Luke last week was talking about notice all the action words in the passage last week? That continues in this week. We've got being an example, giving attention to, not neglecting, uh, meditating, and giving yourself uh, entirely and being careful and taking heed all in this passage, um, which some of the points I've covered so far and some of them I'm still, uh, still working towards. Um, but there's a lot of action words in this, uh, this section here. So here's our next one. Give attention to, uh, to reading. And uh, at first when I read this, I thought, oh, reading, like a, like a daily quiet time. Um, 
And that's certainly true. You should be giving attention to daily um, reading in the Word and uh, meditating on it. Um, but uh, it's certainly true. But this um, particular, uh, the context in this verse is actually attention to public reading. So public reading of the Word of God and a public proclamation of the truths of the Scripture. And Paul says, uh, don't neglect that. So just like we're, we're doing right now, um, you're hearing the Word of God. You're hearing it explained. Paul says, don't, uh, don't neglect that. Pay att- uh, give attention that it's done properly. Right? If you're hearing a preacher that gets up in front of the congregation and talks for the entire sermon about himself and never re- witnesses uh, or references the Word of God except for maybe in passing, that's not the sort of uh, reading that we're talking about here. We ought to be uh, publicly, as a, as a community, as a body, uh, engaged in reading the Word of God and understanding the truth and knowing what it says. Next he says to exhortation. Uh, in exhortation, we, uh, we don't use that word so much anymore. We use the word encouragement. The building up of, of each other. Um, how much opportunity for blessing and unity has been missed because someone didn't say, hey, uh, I noticed what you did there. Thanks for doing that. Or you did a great job, right? It's a simple gesture, but it really works to build up a church. Um, And (laughs) um, we know that to the people that are faithful servants of the Lord, when they stand before Jesus in heaven, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The Lord encourages us in our endeavors through His Word, through His Word and the promise of reward. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't also be encouraging each other here. <laughs> That's part of it. And guess what? There's reward for you if you encourage someone else. How do I know that? Because it says in His Bible and the Word to do it. <laughs> and so we know that there's always a reward if we're following the Lord's commands. So, encourage one another. Build one another up. Say, hey, thanks for taking the time to do uh, whatever that thing was. Hey, thanks for... You probably thought no one noticed when you were doing that thing, but I I noticed and I wanted to say thank you. Um, Give people uh, recognition for the stuff they they do. And obviously, we're not trying to uh, build up pride in an individual but we're trying to encourage one another to follow after the Lord and to do uh, thoughtful and loving things towards one another. Say, hey, um, I noticed that you've been struggling. uh, Let's make up one. I've noticed you've been been struggling with uh, unkind speech. And I noticed yesterday you said something really kind to someone. That was good. I noticed that you're improving in that area. How much more do you think that person's going to work on improving their speech if you're encouraging them? Right? The, uh, the benefits are endless. There's no limit to the benefits of encouragement. Um, so build one another up. Paul says to Timothy, give attention to exhortation. Next, he says, give attention to doctrine. The doctrine, of course, is the, the teachings of Scripture, what we would call the faith. Right? All the things that we know to be true about the Lord, about His commands to the church. And um, Paul says, 
to give attention to these things that we know to be true that we ought to be doing. Um, it's easy to forget to do stuff if you don't <laughs> keep that list in front of you. How many, uh, how many people here shop with a grocery list at the store? I do. I actually have one on my smartphone because I'm in the 21st century, but I have a shopping list that stays in my phone. Because why? Because I'll forget something. <laughs> I'll get home and I'll think, I, got a, I wanted a sandwich, I've got the bread, I've got the ham, I've got the cheese, I've got the mustard, but I forgot the mayo. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, that happened to me just last week, by the way. <laughs> That's why it's fresh in my memory. Um, we need to have things in front of us to help us remember what we ought to be doing. <laughs> Sorry for all those people that don't like mayo. <laughs> Uh, but um, we ought to know what we're supposed to be doing and following it and how we're supposed to remember what we're supposed to keep in front of us, right? It's connected to, to reading the Bible and remembering uh, what it says. Keep it fresh. Keep it right in our minds. Keep it in the forefront. What are we supposed to be doing? Well, it's laid out for us in the doctrine, uh, in the Bible. All right, verse 14. Paul says, Do not neglect... The gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So this is uh, the next point. We've, we've moved on to the next action word. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. We don't know from Scripture exactly what this gift was that Timothy had. Um, we could speculate all we wanted to about how maybe it was the, the gift of teaching or um, exhortation or, or something like that. Um, but the, the um, reality of it is, is that we don't know exactly what the gift is. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's deliberate by the Lord. Um, he doesn't say, you know, you know, don't neglect the gift of teaching, because then he, everyone who read this would say, oh, well, I'm not a teacher, so this verse doesn't apply to me. <laughs> right? He says, don't neglect the gift. It can be anything. Right? Whatever your spiritual gift is, don't neglect it. And that's the encouragement that Paul has for Timothy. And it seems to be uh, that whatever this gift is, um, there was some uh, ceremony around it. Um, there was some prophecy and the laying on of hands of the eldership. Um, we know from uh, 1 Timothy, or sorry, not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1, there's a reference where Paul talks about how he laid hands on Timothy. So we know Paul was part of this group that laid hands upon Timothy um, at the, uh, when he received this gift. Um, so it's important to Paul. He was, he was uh, there when that gift was given to Timothy, and he's obviously seen uh, Timothy use whatever that particular spiritual gift is. Um, and again, we don't know what it is, but um, we know that from other passages in Scripture that everyone in the church is given at least one spiritual gift. And we've had some good teaching about this in the, the 10 o'clock class um, when we went over some of the spiritual gifts. Um, but we know that these gifts are not given so that one person can say, ah, I have the gift of encouragement. Another person can say, ah, I have the gift of teaching or I have the gift of helps or administrations. They're not given to people so that everybody uh, sort of falls into a rank and file by uh, what their gifts are. 
The gifts are given for the building up of the church, not an individual. And that's why uh, in passages on the gift, it says, you know, don't use the gift of tongues, which is uh, prevalent in the early church, um, to just edify yourself. It says, if you're speaking in tongues, let there be an interpreter there so that everyone knows what you're saying. It's there for the edification of the whole church. Um, Obviously, some gifts are far more public than others, um, but every gift is there for the building up of the church, and everyone does have a gift. So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is as a believer, you know, talk with some of your friends and say, hey, uh, do you think I have a gift in this area? Or, you know, ask them, do you notice anything? Or um, if you really, really don't know or have any idea, uh, get involved (laughs) in some service and see what the Lord does through that. Um, The Lord can show us a lot about how He intends for us to be used if we get involved and try and do something in the first place. If we just kind of sit there and go, oh, uh, I don't know what my gift is. Well, <laughs> you're not doing anything. <laughs> Gifts are meant to be used. They're actions. Um, so uh, get, out, get out and do something, and it doesn't matter what it is, and the Lord will show you uh, th- through His, His guidance what uh, He wants you to be doing. The Lord uses the people that are faithful, that want to be involved. Um, so whatever your gift is, obviously don't neglect it. It's there not just for your edification, but for the edification of the body. We're all built up. Um, there's another section in the Bible that says the, the body of the church is knit together by what every joint and ligament supplies. Whatever member it is, great or small, all of it works to bind the whole thing together, just like a phys- physical body. I don't have one thing that binds all of me together. I have lots of bones and ligaments and all that stuff that keep, keeps me standing upright and all connected together. And the church is the same way. We all function better if we're all connected to each other and uh, following after the Lord and giving attention to the head, which is Jesus Christ. All right. Um, Let's look at verse 15, where Paul says, Meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. So here's uh, two action words in in one verse. He says, Meditate on these things. In other words, think about them. Have them constantly in your mind. And think deeply about how all these things affect you and affect the church. And second of all, he says, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. And this is where the, um, the theme of discipline uh, again comes into the picture. Give yourself entirely to them. Um, if you think of an Olympic athlete, like um, I believe uh, Luke was talking about Michael Phelps last week. Uh, and he swam, I believe Luke said something like 80 kilometers a week. So that's like 50 miles. You don't just go out and swim 50 miles one day and then quit for the rest of the week. <laughs> you'd kill yourself the one day and then uh, you'd be in bad shape the rest of the week. Um, there's no way I could even swim 50 miles in one day. <laughs> so what does Michael Phelps do? Obviously, he doesn't do his whole workout in one day. 
He devotes himself day in and day out, back in the pool, swim, 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 weight train, eat, swim, 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 right? He's devoted his entire life to the exercise of swimming so that he can be the best in the sport. And he wouldn't be the best in the sport if he didn't do that. Um, so that's kind of an illustration of what it means to give yourself entirely to something. And Paul's saying to Timothy, these, this, um, these actions that we're talking about, um, of being an example, of um, giving attention to these certain things, of not neglecting your gift, all of these things you should be de- devoting your entire life to these things. That's what P- Timothy is called to do. He's a laborer for Christ. And if he's uh, taking time or uh, energy that he's devoting to anything that's not what's right here in the passage, then that's wasted effort. And uh, <laughs> there's a, um, an illustration here uh, that I want to get to in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But before I go into the, the verses real quick... Um, there's something that a lot of you may not know about me, and that's I'm, I'm a runner. <laughs> and uh, Matt's grinning over here because he invited me to run. Was it just last night, Matt, that you invited me to run? Yeah. And I said, nope, thanks. I'm going to sit down and eat dinner instead. <laughs> and I enjoyed some uh, leftover cheesy enchiladas and some other good stuff and some dessert. And uh, I did not go running. And you might say, well, Sam, how do you call yourself a runner? <laughs> If you don't run. Well, you're right. <laughs> uh, I was quite heavily involved in running. I went running uh, three times a week, but that was six years ago. <laughs> and uh, I haven't been running a whole lot since then. So I'm not a very good illustration of being a runner. And uh, I think it may have gained about 20 pounds since six years ago, and it may be directly related to me not being a runner anymore. So, what's, uh, what's that illustration supposed to be about? Well, let's look at the verse in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24 through 27. It says, uh, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, if I was to go, having told, told you my, uh, my running success story, um, if I was to go in front of a convention of uh, Olympic marathon athletes and say, here's what you got to do to be a good runner, you think they would listen to me, having, to- me, uh, having told uh, them the same things that I just told you? I don't think so. I'm disqualified, just like it talks about here. Uh, I haven't disciplined my body and brought it into subjection. Lest, it says, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. I'm disqualified as an expert on running <laughs> uh, because of my undisciplined uh, nature in regarding that activity. 
But Paul's using this illustration here as an illustration of what we ought to be doing in our spiritual life. If we're going to be an example to the other believers of someone who's pursuing godliness, who's pursuing uh, faith and love and good conduct and graceful, uh, gracious speech, if you're trying to hold yourself up as an example in these areas and you don't practice it, if it was six years <laughs> since you're actively engaged in uh, uh, demonstrating these character attributes to the church, you're disqualified as an example of these things and you're not building up the church in the way you ought to. And he's, Paul says in the middle of this uh, passage, he says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. In other words, you're not wishy-washy about, oh, I may do it tomorrow, I may do it the day after that. There's no uncertainty there. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it today. And then when you're running, you know, the, you know how people lose a competitive race when they're running? They look back. <laughs> they try and see who's catching them. And you can almost see, if, if you've ever watched an Olympic marathon on TV, there's, every once in a while there's a runner who's undisciplined enough to look back. And you can almost see all the people behind them speed up when they see the person looking back. Because they know that the person who's looking back is wondering if they've got enough to stay ahead. They're uncertain. They don't know if they can do it. And so they're trying to gauge, am I going to be able to do this? <laughs> we can't exhibit uncertainty in the spiritual life. I don't know if I can do this. I'm not committed. I'm not committed to staying out in front. I'm not committed to disciplining uh, my body so that I'm not taken over by, by uh, lust or by uh, desire, whatever desires of the flesh. If I'm looking back towards the rest of the pack, I'm not focused on the goal, on the prize and it talks about that, in, uh, again, in Hebrews, where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Right? He's using that same illustration of a, of a runner again, um, because it's a very good illustration. If you keep looking towards the finish line and pushing yourself to get there, you're not going to be distracted by the other competitors in the race. Now, obviously, in a church... We're not competing with one another, trying to outdo each other spiritually and comparing ourselves to one another. That's not the goal. Relative godliness is nothing. But godliness compared to Christ is everything. And so we ought to be looking to Jesus and His example. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> we're not going to get to His standard of perfection. But if we're comparing ourselves to others, it's easy to say, oh, you know, I, uh, I'm more thoughtful than someone else. I've made it. I don't have to push myself to be any more thoughtful. You know, I'm, uh, I have more faith than the man next to me. Well, we're not judging. We're not looking back to see where each other are at relatively. We're supposed to build one another up, right? That's where that ex exhortation comes in. But we're supposed to be looking spiritually toward the Lord Jesus and His example. And so you don't run with uncertainty. You don't, he says, I don't fight as one who beats the air. And the, the illustration there is someone who's flailing about wildly. 
right? You don't, you don't fight like that. <laughs> you don't just flail about, right? You keep your weapon in front of you on the defensive, right? And you, you look for openings, but you, you don't just flail, right? You've left yourself completely open to counterattack. You have to fight with discipline. You have to run with certainty. If we're going to be, uh, as it says uh, at the end of verse 15, that your progress may be evident to all. We may not be supposed to be comparing ourselves to one another, but I'll tell you, when you see someone who's exhibiting a whole lot of godliness and you see the blessings that are coming into their lives and um, what the Lord is doing, and they're always continuously talking about, hey, the Lord did this, and I got to see uh, this great conversation with this person, and um, this amazing opportunity happened uh, when I was in a grocery store, and you know, so on and so forth. It seems that those people right, that are pursuing godliness close, closely, they just see the Lord working over and over and over again. They could, they could keep you there all day with the, uh, with the stories of what the Lord's doing. And I'll tell you, we may not supposed to be comparing ourselves to one another. But when you start hearing stuff like that, you start thinking, man, I want that too. And that's good. That's good godly encouragement and a challenge. That's seeing the runner up ahead and thinking, I want to catch up, right? Um, so do encourage one another by our examples and challenge one another. It's a loving challenge, right? It's not a competitive, I'm doing better than you are challenge. It's a I see you doing well in that area, and I want those blessings for myself as well. Um, we were talking uh, last week in the, uh, the 10 o'clock class um, about don't, not laying up for yourselves treasure on earth, right, but treasure in heaven. And uh, Don said this quote that uh, stuck with me. He says, some people say they're not in it for the reward. Well, I am. <laughs> and he's talking, of course, about that heavenly reward. We're supposed to be in it for the reward. There's nothing wrong with that. Because all that reward, obviously, we're going to lay it back at Jesus' feet and say, without you, none of these treasures that we've acquired would even be possible. And so we'll give to God the glory that he so righteously deserves. But we're his instruments, we're his tools, and we can always seek to be, uh, better ourselves in our pursuit of serving him. All right, the final verse in verse 16 says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Um, this is similar to the warning that it talks, it talks about in Hebrews in that passage I just quoted about um, looking unto Jesus. Earlier in the verse it says, Lay aside every snare and hindrance um, that entangles you. Right? There's always things that are trying to trip us up in our spiritual lives. There's always temptations to engage in unfruitful or even destructive activity. Um, and we, we, may call it, we may just call it free time, right? We just, we just spent some free time. We weren't doing anything uh, too awful, but um, we justify those pursuits which may have more of a detracting influence on our spiritual lives than we, give, uh, than we properly give them credit for. And so Paul has this warning for Timothy. He says, take heed to yourself. Be careful. Be careful as you go running that you don't trip and fall. 
be careful and warn others of the obstacles as well. Remember, we've had a lot of warnings in this book about false teachers and false doctrine and fables and uh, meaningless arguments that all detracts from what we ought to be doing as part of the church. And Paul says, be careful. Take heed of these things because if you're looking out for danger, not only will you save yourself from tripping and falling, but you'll also be able to warn others as well. And that's the final uh, exhortation that we have from this, uh, in this passage from Paul. Do these things. Dedicate yourself entirely to them. And <laughs> that's the hardest part, isn't it? Dedicating yourself entirely. We've got a lot of things in this world that seek to, seek to detract us. Uh, distract us from uh, the things that we ought to be doing. There's uh, a kingdom that's coming that we're part of. There's a war going on. There's a race to be won. And all of us have the opportunity to be good soldiers, to be faithful servants, to hear from the Lord, well done. That's what's before us. And what's behind us it's all going to get burned up in the end. There's nothing there. It's all worthless. And so, as I speak all of this to you uh, this week about it, I'm convicted myself. This is my favorite passage in the book, but it's also the most challenging to me to devote myself entirely to doing the things in this passage. But I hope, as I work on these things, I need your encouragement and I want to encourage you as well to do these things. There's great reward for all of us, brethren. There really is. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for laying out in your word what we're to do. And Father, thank you for giving us clear goals, for giving us clear uh, encouragement and, and bountiful reward, Lord, for following your will. Holy Spirit, we pray this week as we go out and live our lives that we will be listening to you, being filled with your Spirit. And we pray also that we might be warned uh, and watchful uh, for the things that so easily ensnare us. Uh, Lord, that we wouldn't be tangled up, Lord, but we'd be taking heed and winning great strides for your kingdom. Lord Jesus, we pray be with us this week as we live for you. We pray this in your own holy name. Amen.